You have your Bibles open, and uh, we're, we've been in this series called A Light in the Dark. And if you haven't been here, let me just catch up to speed because there's a lot we got to cover today. And so what we've been saying is that a lot of us kind of exist in these dark spaces, right? And we said that in the darkness, just normally speaking, that noises seem a little louder, shadows seem bigger. And for some of us in the darkness, in the dark moments of life, it causes us to do things otherwise we wouldn't do. That's what happens, right? You panic in the dark, so you do things you otherwise wouldn't do, right? That's the way it works. For others of us, uh, we don't panic in the dark, we get paralyzed in the dark. So for us, it causes us not to do things that we otherwise would do. And that's exactly what happens with many of us in the darkness we feel, not necessarily when the lights go out, but when something happens, when emotionally, something happens and we feel this darkness. For some of us, it causes us to panic. For others of us, it causes paralysis. And so we decided, hey, let's just run into this. We realize we can't cover every issue, every topic, nor am I qualified to. So glad Pastor Dale came last week and did a great job walking through that dark space of depression, anxiety with us. We're going to just kind of touch on some things as we go. We're inviting you to give us questions. Some of you are doing that. We so appreciate that. But if you have questions like, hey, I wonder if you'd interact with this, the final week of this series, we're going to attempt to. So you can take your welcome card, put it on your welcome card. We'd be happy to interact with it the best we possibly can. Next week, we're going to talk about the dark space of grief and trauma, pain, things like that. So I look forward to having that conversation with you. But this morning, I want to have a conversation about a darkness that has kind of cast its shadow over our country. I would even say our world. And I would say this, it's a darkness that has cast its shadow over many of your lives. I know that for sure because I know some of your stories. I know that for sure because the statistics and studies would tell me that. Today, I want to talk about the darkness of loneliness. In fact, I would write it down this way. I need to be real about this loneliness that I feel. And some of you would say, that's me. It is a, lo- it is a darkness I feel right now. For some of you, you would say, it's a darkness I go in and out of. The fact of the matter is, You're in a crowd, this place is filled up this morning, right? And some of you feel lonely, right? Loneliness is something that you can feel even be amplified in the middle of a crowd. Listen close. Some of you are married and you feel lonely. Some of you are popular and you feel lonely. Some of you are leaders of your organization, you feel lonely. Some of you are really, really successful. Everybody's like, man, I want to be just like them and you're lonely. Some of you have a lot of followers on social media and you're lonely. Fact of the matter is loneliness is epidemic. A famous Swiss psychiatrist said it's the most devastating malady of our age. And there are some popular, well-known people, some of you in the room, not many of you, some of you in the room would be old enough to remember an actress whose name was Judy Garland. And this is what she said. I think her quote is interesting. She said, if I am such a legend then why am I so lonely? Some of you may recognize this face that we're going to throw up there. Tom Hanks says this, everybody has something that chews them up, and for me, that thing was always loneliness. Then he says this, the cinema has the power to make you not feel lonely even when you are. Some of you may recognize this face, very smart guy, right? Albert Einstein said, it is strange to be known so universally and yet be so Lonely. Everybody knows me. I walk in the room. Everybody can recognize my face and yet be so lonely. Mother Teresa said this. I love this quote. She said, loneliness is the most terrible poverty. 
and the feeling of being unloved. It's interesting. I got this definition of loneliness. You can probably look it up uh, and there's all kinds of definitions. I thought this one worked the best and you may wanna write it down. That loneliness is simply a separation anxiety that's brought on by the feeling of being disconnected. Some of you recognize that. Out of touch. It is the loss of intimacy and the loss of belonging. Someone wrote this, and you may be able to relate with this. Loneliness is the most desolate word in all the human language. It is capable of hurling the heaviest weights the heart can endure. Loneliness plays no favorites. Loneliness ignores all rules of courtesy. Loneliness knows neither border nor barriers. Loneliness yields no mercy. Loneliness refuses all bargains. Loneliness holds the clock in utter contempt. Loneliness cannot be bribed. It cannot be left behind. Crowds only make loneliness worse. Activity only simply drives it deeper. Silent and destructive is loneliness, just like flood river in the night. It leaves its slimy banks seeping into our dwelling and rises to a crest of despair. Tears fall from our eyes as groans fall from our lips. But loneliness, but loneliness, that uninvited guest of the soul, loneliness arrives at dusk and stays till dinner, is what he says. It's interesting. In fact, I went further and just thought I would just kind of explore this and found some interesting things that Cigna, a global health service company, released some findings on loneliness are absolutely fascinating. I would call your attention to the screen. We put as much of this up there as we could. But Cigna simply says this, that loneliness is a public health crisis. That's interesting, right? Like it's not just something people deal with. It is literally a crisis in our country. Loneliness, social isolation, they found, can be as damaging to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's interesting. Loneliness is associated with risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. Furthermore, what was interesting to me is they said that loneliness is a prevailing epidemic problem in the United States. In fact, they threw these statistics out there that we'll throw on the screen that when it comes to loneliness, 47% of Americans feel left out. 46 sometimes or always feel alone. 43 feel their relationships are not meaningful. 43% feel isolated from others. Everybody look here a second, because this is totally the way I've thought about this morning. That means this. You, You can forget the exact numbers. Here's what that tells me probably should tell you that about half of you sitting in this room, half of you who've walked in this building, almost half of you feel to some degree or another lonely. That's what that tells me. It's interesting. So, so you may be sitting here this morning and say, I don't feel lonely. Chances are somebody in your row does. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I don't feel disconnected. Chances are somebody sitting around you does. That's what that tells me. 27% rarely or never feel there are people who really understand them. 20% rarely feel close to people or never feel close to people. 18% say they actually have people that they can talk to. What's interesting to me, we'll throw this on the screen, it's not just a, an American problem. Over in the UK and Britain, The Prime Minister, Theresa May, she actually appointed a minister for loneliness. It's a cabinet position. 
to tackle the sad reality of modern life. This is pulled right from one of their newspapers. It says this, more than 9 million people in the UK say they are always or often lonely, according to the British Red Cross. What's interesting about it is this, is that loneliness is an epidemic problem, a public health crisis, has damaging effects. It's an American reality. Almost half of the people feel it. Even in this room, I would say that might be a reality. And what may surprise you, it did me as I dug into this. You're like, what what surprised me is the age breakdown. Now, we're going to throw up something in a minute. Not quite yet. But when you think of loneliness, you may think of it like me. You may think older people are lonely, right? Because they lose their spouses and all of a sudden their family maybe moves away. Older people are lonely. Because here is what you and I know. We live in a time that is more connected than it's ever been. Come on. More connected than it's social media. Can I get amen? Right? You're more connected, right, than it's ever been. And yet it's never been lonelier. And what's interesting is when you look at the statistics, the age breakdown is shocking. You won't be able to see all of it, particularly just with one screen. I'll make sense of it for you. Cigna, same company, did a loneliness survey, and here's what they found. Generation Z is the loneliest generation. You're saying, who's Generation Z? Everybody look here. This will shock you. 18 to 22-year-olds. The loneliest generation are 18 to 22-year-olds, those who maybe know how to be connected more than any of us, right, when it comes to social media and things like that, and yet the loneliest of all of us. What's startling is the next loneliest generation is a generation called millennials, and that is those who are 23 to 37 years old. Following by the next generation who is the loneliest is Generation X, That's 38 to 51-year-olds. The next generation, boomers, 52 to 71, and the least lonely, it was shocking to me, is what comes from what is termed the greatest generation, right? 72 plus. It's interesting. Because all of those things tell me this. Look here a second. That's fascinating. By the way, can I just say this? Maybe a different talk, a different time. Pastor Greg would love to dialogue with you. If you have teenagers or young adults and, and, and it seems like, man, they're connected and they got all these social media friends, pay attention. Pay attention. This survey is informative. Loneliest generation. Loneliest generation. It tells me this, all these things tell me this, that it's not just an American problem. Actually, it's not a technology problem. You might be thinking to yourself, well, they're lonely because they're always on Facebook. Technology is a good thing. It can be something that can have devastating effects, but it's a good thing. Can we just say that, get that out? That's not the problem. So then what's the problem? What's the problem with loneliness? I want you to write this down. Loneliness is a human problem. If you're going to understand loneliness, you've got to understand that loneliness is a human problem. In fact, it is the very first problem that you encounter in the Bible. Did you know that? Loneliness is the very first problem that you encounter in the story of God. I want to show you what I mean, then I want to take you to some real practical, practical applications on how to navigate loneliness. Genesis chapter 2 is where we see this thing begin, and I think... Like, like if you're new to the Bible, you're like, I don't know what I believe about God. I'm asking you to stay with me on this. Because I think if we would jump into this, it helps us understand loneliness in a different way. 
Genesis 2, Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what? Say it out loud, to be alone. Only half of you can see it, right? But it's not good for the man to be alone, so I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each of them was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, the man, no suitable helper was found. So, man's alone. All of a sudden, we've got a problem. This is the first problem you find in God's story. Don't miss this. God's going to solve the first problem. He causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Look here a second, different sermon, but God says right from the get-go, here's my idea of marriage. That's what he says, okay? One man, one woman in this covenant relationship. But he solves the man's aloneness by bringing into the picture this woman, this other human being. Look at verse 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Everybody look here a second, okay? So that seems interesting. When you're in middle school, you kind of chuckle about that. But there's something profound going on here that will help us understand loneliness, Here's what I need you to know. Right from the beginning, the first human problem was man was alone. God creates a solution. And so here's what you need to know. When God was creating, he kept saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Saw man alone. And he said, that's the first time he said, something is not what? It's not good. It tells me something that you need to know, that we were created for community. We were formed for friendship. We were made by a God. We were made by a God who has always lived in relationship. Look up here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He has always lived in this eternal relationship. So when God created, he created from relationship for relationship. We were made for relationship. And so what you have here is God solved the problem and this man and this woman are in this perfect environment of perfect relationship. Man relating perfectly with God. Man relating perfectly with the woman that God had created for him. There is this perfect relationship going on. Why? Because it is an environment of absolute security. And in an environment of absolute security, all of a sudden you can enjoy profound intimacy. I'm going to say it again. In an environment of absolute security, you can enjoy profound intimacy. They were both naked and felt no shame with God and each other. Why? Because there was absolute security that led to total transparency, not just physically. All in- intimacy, by the way, this is a different sermon, is into me see. That's what it is. I can be transparent, right? And so in this environment, God solved their problem. There was absolute security to enjoy into me see. 
We were hardwired for that. We were created for that. Everything is going great until something happened. What happened? The very next chapter in God's story, Genesis 3, all of a sudden sin entered the picture. And when sin, look here, I know the verses are up there. I want you to tell you something about sin. When sin happened, the primary consequence of sin was not that man broke God's rule. The primary consequence of sin was that now all of a sudden the relationship was disconnected between God and others. That's the primary consequence of sin. In fact, let me show you what I mean. Genesis 3 says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. This is the same God he walked with in the cool of the day. But what this time after sin entered... It says they what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They start playing hide and seek with God, but the Lord God called to them, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was not eager to see you. All of a sudden, this idea of no shame wasn't there. I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked. Oh, all of a sudden, everything changed. So I hid. Instead of coming for you, I hid from you. And he said, well, who was it that told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? God's like, why? I mean, how did you know? And then Adam, verse 12, he took it like a man, right? He said, the woman you put here, it's her fault, right? She gave me some fruit from the tree. Don't miss what's happening here. The minute sin entered the picture, all of a sudden, absolute security was replaced with absolute insecurity. Profound intimacy was replaced with isolation. Man is hiding from God. Man is hiding from the God that he walked with. And instead of this absolute intimacy with the other human being God created for him, all of a sudden, man is hiding from God and man is blaming her. And now man has to prove himself. Well, you know, it was really her. And man has to protect himself. He covers himself. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the human problem of aloneness, all of a sudden walls start going up. Guys, everybody look here, make this pop for you. Doesn't that make sense that it would be Satan's strategy? to do something that would cause man to experience the original problem? Doesn't it make sense that that's what he would want to do in your marriage? That you could be married and experience loneliness? Doesn't it make sense that even maybe Satan's strategy would be in a crowd, in a crowd of people that you might be hiding and protecting and absolutely, even this minute, dying inside because you're lonely. I like, look over here, I guess. I like the way this guy says this. Henry David Thoreau says, city life, where there's lots of people, is just millions of people being lonesome together. Isn't there some truth to that? That we live in a lonely, lonely world. Loneliness is a darkness that's real. Some of you feel that loneliness right now. That's why we can seem so connected and yet struggle with isolation, disconnection. So what do we do? Well, here's the first thing I would say, and I'm gonna run through this. We're gonna fly through this, but I want you to see this, and then we gotta put some really practical things in play. The first place I need to begin is this. I need understanding to reveal what's causing this loneliness that I feel. I need some understanding 
to reveal what's causing this loneliness that I feel. So here's what I would say. <clears throat> Do we lose that one too? There we go. There we go. I would write it that way. I need some understanding to reveal what's causing this loneliness that I feel. I would write that down somewhere on your notes. Now, don't throw the other screen up there. The first week we said this, that underneath of this darkness that we feel, there's always an underlying rooted reason. Remember we mentioned some? You remember we mentioned some? We said that for some of us it might be chemistry. For others of us it might be our connections. For some of us it might be our circumstances, our consciousness. And all of those things can lead to loneliness, right? For some of you, it's your chemistry. We talked about this, this idea of some of us have this, this chemical oxytocin, that it's the, the bonding chemical. And for some of us, like, man, if that's not up to par, it's like maybe we struggle bonding with others. For some of us, it's our chemistry, our makeup, because we were made fun of when we were younger because of our body. And so now we're insecure because it's just easier. I'm going to isolate. You know why? I don't want that. Right? For some of us, our connections. There's a famous actor. See if you can't recognize this face. This is what he said. He said, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up all alone. He said, it's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. Isn't that interesting? That sometimes it's our connections that somehow drive us deeper into loneliness. Others of us, our circumstances. I would suggest this to borrow the picture that Pastor Dale led us in last week, that loneliness sits on a foundation. And that foundation that it sits on is insecurity. That somehow this absolute security that was experienced in the garden that led to this profound intimacy where relationship could be enjoyed got broken into and now insecurity replaces security. Now intimacy is replaced with isolation. Now all of a sudden connection is replaced with disconnection. It's interesting to me because I was listening to a lady that's ah, two weeks ago. Raise your hand if you know what a TED Talk is. TED Talk, anybody? Yeah. A lot more of you in this group than the first group, all right? TED Talk, you get on and they give 10, 15-minute talks about leadership, social issues, whatever it might be. I listened to a TED Talk. It was fascinating on this whole topic of loneliness. I don't think the gal even claims to be a follower of Christ. Somebody who, like, I don't know that she isn't, but she doesn't claim that. Just want you to know that. But she said something interesting. She would put herself out there as being an expert in loneliness. So she has this organization that deals with loneliness. And this is what she says. It's interesting. She says this, that in the human, in the human makeup, being connected, listen close, is ingrained in our DNA. That makes sense if we were made in an image of God who's existed in relationship, Right? So this gal, I don't even know if she knows anything about God. I'm not sure she does or doesn't. But what she says, she studied loneliness. She said, this idea of being connected is ingrained in our human DNA. And this is what she says. In order for you and I to feel connected, see if you can't relate with this. In order to feel connected, we need to be seen, heard, and valued. Man, guys, this makes sense. In order to be connected, we need to be seen, heard, and valued. We are hardwired for connection. And in order for us to be connected, I got to know that I'm seen. You ever been to a, in a crowd of people and like, I don't think anybody even noticed I was there? 
or I got to be heard. You ever been in a relationship and you feel like they don't hear you? Don't look at them. Okay, they might, I'm serious. They might be sitting next to you, right? You ever been in a relationship where you're like, I think if they really didn't know who I was, they would reject me? You ever been in a relationship like that? It makes me think of a quote by a guy named Tim Keller. I love this quote. He says this, when over the years someone has seen you at your worst and then knows you with all your strengths and your flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, that is a consummate experience. But look at what he says next. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Everybody look here. I say that's our culture. We have a lot of acquaintances. We're loved, not really known. You know why? Because we're afraid if they knew us, they would what? Reject us, which is what he says. To be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear. And that's why many of us feel lonely. So it begs this question, and then I want to share three things with you, and we'll be done. I need to ask, how in the world can I heal from this loneliness that I feel? How in the world can I, you, we, how can we heal from this loneliness that we feel? And I think there's three things, three really important things. And and, and the first one, you're going to be like, well, I expected the preacher to say that. And, And some of you... Look here a second. You might be hearing, I don't even know what I believe about God. If you'll stay with me on this and at least just entertain it, I think the very first thing is absolutely vital to understanding the second two, the last two. The very first thing is vital. I sit with tons of people, have over the last 26 years. I believe what I'm getting ready to share with you is vital to understanding how to move into real relationships. Just had a conversation this week with a guy my age in my office. Here's the place I think we got to begin. The place to begin is simply this. I need to begin by receiving the security of a real relationship with God in order to experience the possibility of real relationship with others. Just leave that up there a while. I got to begin by receiving the security of a real relationship with God in order to move into the possibility of a real relationship with others. Now, David, in the back, you're going to have to hang with me. I'm going to fly, and I don't even know where I'm going, okay? So just hang with me. But everybody look here a second. If, if we're going to do that, ready? Here's what we got to do. For some of us in the room, we got to rethink God. We got to rethink God. Say that out loud with me. Rethink God. So here's the deal. We got to rethink God. And what I mean by that is this, is that when I say God, for a lot of you in the room, here's what happens. You think religion. For a lot of you in the room, when I say God, you think ritual, you think rules. For a lot of you in the room, when I say God, you think this hollow, this empty ritual that you were part of growing up. And that's why, listen close, there are a lot of religious people who are lonely. You can be religious, you can even keep all the rules, you can obey all the rituals and still be lonely. Is anybody tracking with me? You see, when God thinks about it, that's not the way he thinks. God thinks relationship. And literally the story of God is this, is that God sees you, he hears you, he values you, and he loves you. That's the story of God. 
Here's what you need to know. My sin disconnects me from relationship with God. That's the problem. The problem isn't, oh, I'm not obeying the rules. You bad person. The problem is it disconnects the relationship. That's the problem. And the very same God who solved the first problem in the garden and he provided Eve for Adam, all of a sudden that God solves the problem of sin at the cross. Look at what it says. Romans chapter five, you ought to write this passage down. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He knew everything about us and he still died for us. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our, look at this word, friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice, you with me, in our wonderful new religion with God. Is that what it says? No. In our wonderful new what? Say it out loud with me. Our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's made us friends of God. This is the gospel. What got disconnected in the garden of Eden got reconnected at the cross, What got disconnected when sin entered the world got reconnected when Jesus died. And then look what it says in Romans 8. It says this, verse 31, don't you miss this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Verse 37, No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, death, anything else in all creation, nothing's gonna be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is that saying? Everybody look here. I want you to hear me say this. This is the place you gotta start. If I'm reading this right, pretty sure I am, that there is a God who sees you and he knows you. Can I tell you a secret? He knows the stuff the person beside you doesn't know. No matter how close you are. And he so wants a relationship with you that he's dying to have a relationship with you. No, let me restate that. He died to have a relationship with you. Knowing everything he knows about you. And he simply offers the invitation. He knocked down every wall. He's like, I know that. Well, what about, I know that. And I'm literally dying. I'm gonna do everything possible, knock down every wall to make a relationship with me possible. I want to be your father, friend, forever savior and Lord. That's what I want, Dan. I want a relationship with you that bad. And if you will just say yes, If you'll just say yes, all of a sudden I can be a friend of God. I can have this forever relationship with God. And what Romans 8 is saying is this. This is the key that when I say yes to Jesus, I am a friend of God. He is my savior. I'm in the family of God. And what Romans 8 is saying is this. Nothing, 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 say it with me, nothing can separate me from his love. That is absolute security that leads to profound intimacy. You see, when I know that, I am who he says I am. 
I'm not who you say I am. I'm not who you say I am. You know who I am? I am who he says I am. And he knows everything about me. He knows me better than I know me, and yet he loves me. He died to have a relationship with me. And when I live my life on the platform of that security, I can move into the possibility of real relationship with other people. It's on the platform of that that I can move into a real relationship with my wife, a real relationship with my friends, a real relationship with my kids. I love the way Keller finishes that same quote. Just throw it on the screen quick. To be fully known and truly loved as well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. Liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This is where I'm gonna fly, David, so stay with me. Look here a second. Why is this important? Because if I don't start with the security of who I am, receiving this gift that God gives me, if I don't start, here's the deal. I will move in, you with me? I'll move into every relationship out of insecurity. And you know what happens when I do that? When I move into every relationship out of insecurity, you know what happens? I gotta do one of two things because I don't know who I am. I was just with a guy my age. I said, who are you trying to prove yourself to? He lost it. He lost it in my office. He said, I don't know, but I sure am trying hard. When I move into relationships out of insecurity, I gotta prove myself to you because I gotta know that you're okay with who I am. I gotta prove myself, I gotta impress you, I gotta somehow promote me or I'm gonna move into a relationship and I'm gonna protect myself because if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't like me. You see how that works? You see, that's the way it works. But when I know who I am, when I know who I am in Christ, all of a sudden I can move into relationships with security that I know who I am in Christ. And it causes me to rethink church. Not just rethink God, it causes me to rethink church. Did you know that? Some of us, when we think church, we think building or service, and that's not even what church is. But church is a group of extremely messed up people. Amen? Come on. Don't look at the person next to you, you won, right? Who said yes to Jesus and realized we need his grace. It caused me to rethink church. It causes me to rethink marriage. Marriage isn't an institution. Marriage is a relationship that, that God says is a picture of the gospel. It is literally this covenant promise. That's what marriage is, that I'm not going anywhere. Things are really bad, I'm not going anywhere. And it's in that security where the man is bending his life for the sake of the wife. The wife is bending her life for the sake of the husband where two become one. And in this promise of security, into me see can be experienced. You see how that works? And it caused me to rethink family. All of a sudden, family isn't just, just this cool thing that I have because we produced kids, but it's like this picture of this, this, this relationship I have with God. It causes me to rethink friendship. Because Jesus said, no greater friend, no, there's nothing greater a friend could do than to lay down his life. And that makes me think the greatest friend I have is the one who laid down his life for me. And all of a sudden, friendship isn't just a bunch of drinking buddies, gossip girls. It is literally something more profound and deep. 
You see, when I move out into security of who I am, then I can move into relationships. Everybody look here, and we gotta end with this. I hate that clock. Can I just say that? Because I got some really important things I gotta tell you. Nobody look back there, shame on you. (laughs) Why did that screen go out and that one didn't, right? Everybody knows where to look for the clock. Everybody look here, ready? When I got real security in who I am in Christ, then I can move into relationships. Now listen, okay, this is so important. I feel like I'm just having a conversation with you in my office. Moving into real relationships is part art and science. Come on. Moving into real relationship is part art and it's part science. You tracking with me? You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Two things I want you to write down first is this. If I'm gonna move into real relationships from the security of who I am, I need to resurrect the art of real relationships with others. Real relationships with others. We are hardwired to be connected and yet we are disoriented in how to do relationships. We live in a generation that has lost the art of what real relationships look like. Now listen, I want to tell you guys three really practical things. The reason I chose those words was on purpose because I think we've lost the art of real relationships because at least, there's probably more, but at least three things have died. There's, there's three things that have died that have caused us in our marriages, I see some of you out there, you're married, in our friendships, in our churches. When these three things die, we lose the art of real relationship. Some of you are dating the person you're sitting beside. This matters, right? What are the three things? First is this, write it down. The first is the death of conversation. We have lost the art and the ability to have conversation. Can we just say it this way? And this is not like critiquing our culture necessarily, it's just facing a reality. We have perfected the art of a one-way communication, amen? Yeah, we call it Facebook, Instagram, we call it whatever, you, whatever you do, right? Social media, like I can throw out there my opinion, what I think, and I don't have to listen to what somebody says back or care, right? You see, technology is not the problem, by the way. We just have perfected it. So I can lob grenades verbally out there, right? I can post things. There's no context for it. What happens is this is communication, this void of relationship. True conversation is communication that cultivates a relationship. The fact of the matter is we've lost the art that true conversation is like playing ping pong. Remember, I talked about ping pong a couple weeks ago. Raise your hand, you like ping pong? Just remind you, my dad could beat you. But anyways, ping pong, right? Here's true conversation. This is so important. Ping pong is, I'm gonna serve over the net, then what happens? Ping pong's awful, awful rough to play by yourself. Then you're gonna hit it back. Then I'm gonna hit it back. Then we're gonna, if you're good, we're gonna keep hitting it back and forth. That's conversation. We've lost the art. You know why? Because we've lost the art of asking questions and listening. You know what asking questions is? Listen, asking questions is one of the most selfless things you can do. Husband, husband, take the lead. Ask your wife questions. Wife, return the favor. 
I was with a couple that I dearly love and I was talking about conversation and they're having some, some ups and downs in their relationship. And I said, when's the last time you guys laughed together and just talked with each other? Well, life and the kids and whatever and whatnot. And this is what I said to them. This is worth me saying out loud to all of you. I said, learn the art of conversation. And I said it this way. Let it start mechanical and keep doing it until it becomes instinctive. So literally my wife and I have this jar and it's full of questions. And we would pull that jar out and it's got questions and we'd ask these questions to each other around the dinner table. Some of them are stupid, right? (laughs) They are, they're just stupid. And then some of them are pretty deep and profound. Like what's your greatest fear? All right, buckle up, that's gonna be a conversation. And then you listen. See, we've lost the art. One of the most selfless things we can do is to learn the art of conversation. I care about what you have to say. Ask a question, listen. Philippians 2 says this, says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Death of conversation. Can I, can I suggest there's been another death that has somehow caused us to hinder moving into real relationships? It's the death of Conflict resolution. You know why I think that the conflict resolution has died is because we're insecure. And when we're insecure, guess what? I gotta, in order to feel secure, I gotta win the argument. So what we do when there's conflict, we go in to win the argument. Why? Because that's what makes me feel secure. And when I go into conflict resolution out of a place of security, come on now, you know what I'm saying is right where some of you are at. When I go in out of a place of security, winning the argument isn't the number one goal, restoring the what? Relationship is. When I go from a place of security, I go in and my number one priority is I want to understand the one I love versus needing to be understood and heard. See, all of a sudden, it becomes this selfless desire to say, I'm gonna go in, I wanna resolve the conflict. Guys, we live in a culture, nobody wants to resolve conflict, everybody wants to win the argument. Marriage. Well, we have conflict, I'll just kind of get rid of you, right? Right? Friendship. Well, man, we can't agree on this, I think we can't be friends. Right? We can't agree on this, I think I'll fire you. Can I just tell you something? I'll be honest with you, I'm glad my wife and I don't agree on everything. Our conflicts have driven us to understand and love and know each other in a deeper way. And they've led us to better resolution. Can I just tell you this? And and there are so many people that I sit with and, and here's the deal, in an effort to avoid conflict, their partner has no idea who they are. They have no idea who they are. That is not into me, see. When I know who I am in Christ, I can move into relationship with a security. And we can resolve conflict, you know why? Because I don't need to prove myself and I don't need to protect myself. He knows me, I know who I am in him. Maybe a third death. The third death is the death of true confession. We think of confession like this Catholic thing. A lot of you like, no, maybe you grew up Catholic. And you're like, that's, that's kind of what we did. And it's like, and if you grew up Catholic, that, that's cool. I mean, I had a lot of friends that were Catholic and confession to them was they went in, in, in this room and they confessed to, they weren't sure who was on their side, but they confessed. When God talks about confession, confession is just kind of this transparent coming into agreement, admitting 
When true confession dies in a relationship, listen close, when true confession dies in your relationship, your relationship begins to die. The true relationship begins to die. Think about it. When true confession dies in my relationship with God, my relationship with God begins to die. Begins to get stale. And when true confession begins to die in your relationship with your friends, in your relationship with your spouse, that relationship begins to die. People who know my weaknesses, fears, and struggles, and they accept me and love me. James 5, look at this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to God. Is that what it says? Therefore, confess your sins not, yeah, to God, sure, but it says confess your sins to who? Each other, each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen, this is tender, and then I gotta just say the last thing, and I'm gonna fly through the last thing. Some of you are sitting here, and quite frankly, confession is something that's never been in your relationships. And now your relationships are toxic or superficial. And when I read this, I read it this way, that true confession can be healing when I ask for forgiveness and when I offer forgiveness. That's into me see. That's into me see. And that can only happen when I come from the security of who I am in Christ. I need to resurrect the art of relationships. But I need to do something that I think is the science of relationships. Write it this way and I'm gonna just touch on it and then we go. I need to reset anchors of connection in my life. I need to reset anchors of connection in my life. This lady, let me just make short work of this. This, this lady that talked on this TED Talk, she said something that was fascinating to me, that if you're my age or younger, that's most of you, I guess, in the room. But if you're my age or young, listen up. Because our generation has minimalized ritual. If you grew up in the church, you're like, I don't want to be a legalist. You know, it's not about ritual. And I hear you, brother. That's, I'm with you. But what this lady said was this, is the anchors of connection in our life have everything to do with the rituals in our life. And the rituals in my life are the habits, the activity that I do over and over and over and again with an intentional purpose. And what she was saying is this, listen close, is that rituals will never take the place of relationship. But relationships that don't have rituals of connecting will drift into a sea of loneliness. I think she's right. And I think it's why God says this. He says, don't give up the habit of meeting together as a church. Some of you know that, right? Don't give up the habit. Do you know the statistics say that when people nowadays, they, church attendance for them is like one out of four? It's like that's maybe... I'm not picking, I'm just saying, but I can't connect. I don't know how to connect. 
God says, not me, this is not me. He says, don't give up the habit of gathering together. Why? Because mama said you should go to church. Uh-uh. Because God said that was one of the rules. Uh-uh. You know what he says? Don't give up the habit of gathering together so that you can encourage each other. Be seen, be heard, be valued. It's interesting, isn't it? You see, what are your anchors for connecting with each other here? It's why we have these things called grace groups, by the way. It's not just a program. This is not a sales pitch I'm giving. But it is interesting to me that surveys would say 50% of you feel lonely. We have grace groups where we simply take the conversation we're having here and in a circle among other relationships where we can be seen, heard, and valued, continue the conversation. And we've done the study and about 50% of you are connected to those groups. It's just interesting to me. What are your anchors of connection? I don't have time, right? I don't have time. I heard a guy say this, it's worth writing down. He said, love has a speed and it's slower than you. Remember that. You see, not only in your, with your church family, what are your anchors for connection with your marriage? I'm talking to some of you now. What are your anchors? Listen, your kids are busy, life got busy, job. All of a sudden, there's no anchors, there's no ritual, there's no habit that every whatever, we're gonna whatever. We're gonna talk and meet and have conversation where there's opportunity to resolve. What are your anchors? That I know every Tuesday night we're turning the TV on. What's your anchor? If you don't have anchors of connection, you're liable to drift into a sea of loneliness. What are your anchors of connections with your friendships? I don't know. We kind of connect when we can connect. What are your anchors of connection with your family? What are they? I don't know, the kids and the schedule and whatever. Maybe the best application is this. In order to reconnect relationally, we need to find what it is that we're gonna disconnect from in our schedule. Because to say yes to the priority of relationships means saying no to something else. You see, the fact of the matter is God says, I want to have a relationship with you. Can I ask you this in closing? Pray, done. Have you ever said yes to his invitation to have a relationship with him? Wait, 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 wait. I can see it in your eyes. I'm not asking if you go to church. If you want to go to church, I'm not even asking if you're a good person. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. And he did everything necessary for that to happen. He said, I'm just waiting for you to receive it. He knows everything about you. Even the secret in your life that no one else knows. And he said, I love you so much. I died to have a relationship with you. God, we're done. In this room, I don't know everybody's stories. My guess is some of them are living in a darkness of loneliness. And I pray for them. Some of them have never connected with you. And that might be you sitting in your chair right now, this moment, October 2019. You are not here by mistake or coincidence. 
And right now the God of the universe is saying, I love you, but you don't know this. I know everything about you. Even the part about you you're trying to hide, even the part about you that you were trying to run away from, even the part about you the people closest to you don't know, and I love you so much and want to have a relationship with you that I did everything necessary. I see you, I hear you, and I love you. And he's just waiting for you this morning to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. I want to begin a relationship with you. Some of you are sitting there this morning and this loneliness that you feel, you feel, even though everybody around you thinks you're popular or successful, but nobody really knows who you are. And you're afraid if they did, they would reject you. And yet the God of the universe says, I know exactly who you are and I love you. And all of a sudden from that security becomes the power to move into real relationships. Some of you are sitting beside your spouse today and you've been relating superficially, protecting from each other, trying to prove yourself to each other. That's why you can't resolve the conflict you're having is because there's this insecurity that you have to be right and you have to win. And God said, what if, what if we broke down those walls of loneliness that you're living behind and all of a sudden begin in an absolute environment of security, begin to experience this newfound intimacy. God, I'm so grateful that you love us. I'm so grateful that you know us and love us and care for us. So God, we need your help in moving. We need courage. Some of us need courage. And some of us in the room, we're not married. And we're like, where do we connect? And how do we, how do we connect with others? And that might be you this morning. And I just want to tell you this. There are all kinds, all kinds of opportunities that we would love to share with you. Don't stay where you're at. I beg if you don't stay where you're at. You were hardwired for connection. We need you, you need us. And there are a lot of you in the room right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, and you're thinking, I'm not lonely, this message wasn't for me, and you're exactly the person I preached the message for. Because sitting up and down your row are people, real people with real stories, and they are lonely. And God's call on our life is to export what we've experienced. And God, my prayer is this, is that in this space, in this community, we'd be a place that exports the fact that you're a God who accepts us, loves us, sees us, hears us, and values us. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.